right, here's where we are this morning. We're going to finish chapter 3 and outlining the different messages and just how to break up this document. We are covering the shortest amount of verses this morning, but I really think that where James is, the verses that we are hitting this morning is central to everything that he has already communicated and central to what he is going to communicate through the end of this document. Um, Let us read this, and we have a lot of different places to go this morning. I have titled this morning, Showtime, because it's time to put into practice what he's been encouraging. So this is chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his words are done in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And that's all we'll cover this morning. All right, go back to the beginning. I, I'm going I'm to run through this really quick, and I'm going to throw just lines back to what he has already stated who is wise and understanding among you this question back in chapter 1 is we are told to count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. But verse 5 of chapter 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, what are we to do? We're to ask God to give us wisdom. We are to ask the giving God. He gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to you, but we are to ask in faith without doubting, where we are told here to show by good conduct that our works are done in the meekness meekness of wisdom. A couple weeks ago, the whole idea of faith without works is dead. This whole idea that uh, you have faith and I have work. He says, show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. And this whole idea that faith is working together with our works, and by works, faith, the out of our works, faith is made perfect, that whole idea. Again, he's, these are, he's repeating and he's consolidating and drilling everything down. Um, as he talks about this wisdom does not descend, the, the earthly, sensual, demonic wisdom, it doesn't descend from above. Earlier on, we are told back in chapter 1 that every good and perfect gift is from above. And comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his, cre- of his creatures. He's going to hit fruits again. But again, God is the source of everything that we need that is from 
above. Let's see, what else do we have? Um, um, the wisdom that is from above is full of mercy. Oh, we had a few weeks ago, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy swaggers over judgment. Chapter 2, verse 13. Results in good fruits. Again, the, the fruit of his righteousness. Um, going back to what he is given. And then by those who make peace. Chapter 1, verse 22. This whole idea. Oh, that's right. Um, verse 18 of chapter 3. Sorry, I'm flipping back and forth here. Now that the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Literally, by those who do Peace, the idea in chapter 1, verse 22, to be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourself. So I'm giving you a whole bunch of lines back to the ideas that James has already communicated. And just last week, we were dealing with the first half of this chapter, dealing with teachers and their tongues. Uh, the beginning of chapter 3, let few of us become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. We all stumble in many things. But if you do not stumble in word, you're a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body. And we sat in all the issues that our tongues, this little member in our body, and what great things it can boast. All the things that we can communicate out of our heart, the mouth speaks, the fires that we can kindle with this member, and at the same time, the words of God that we can speak to others. So if this is, uh, if I mentioned when we first started James, it's really easy to look at what he's communicating in little compartments as though these are multiple messages that he has communicated over time and they're being consolidated down in just to a few sentences. At the same time, there is a line of thought that is going through uh, this, this whole document. In the line of thought and what we covered last week is he's talking about those who teach you. Whether you're being taught in the church, you're being taught in your employment, you're being taught from the world, you're being taught in your household. Whoever your teachers are, we have an encouragement in regards to what type of teachers we are to listen to. And may they image Jesus. Amen? But at the same time, that when you are in the position of a teacher, make sure that you are the one who is imaging Jesus. So as he's talking about teachers and he's talking about the damage that tongues can do, now the thought is traveling into who is wise among you and who has understanding in your midst. These are the men, these are the women that you want instructing you. Again, if this is a line of thought that is traveling through here at the same time, this is this middle section of a thrust that is consolidating everything that he's already said to what he's sitting in here now. Okay, got all that? Now, who is wise? What is, what is wisdom? This is, this is an adjective, a description of an individual. What, what is wisdom? Wisdom is it's an action and it's an application of a few things that are combined together. One is knowledge. So just because you know something doesn't mean you act according to what you know, and it doesn't mean that you act in wisdom according to what you know. You can know something and be a total fool at the same time. Amen? We've all been there. Wisdom is also, it's not just knowledge, it's experience. You don't know what you can't know. You don't become, you are not naturally an expert in anything except being a sinner. 
right? We're all good at being our natural selves. As we submit ourselves to the Lord, he takes us through life experiences. Count it all joy when you fall into these various trials. And when you lack wisdom in how to live out and live in Jesus through this trial, what do we do? We ask the giving God to give us wisdom so that we can process through this life experience in a way that glorifies and honors him. Wisdom demands experience. You can't know what you don't know. Some of life takes a lot of experience. I'm going to pause here and just flip back to 1 Timothy because Paul has an encouragement there to Timothy as a young leader in the church. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example, right? By good conduct. Show your good conduct. Be an example. This is uh, 1 Timothy 4.12. Be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. So again, just because wisdom has a large part of its life experience, just because you haven't lived much life yet, does not mean that you are not capable of living before the Lord in a wise way. So knowledge, experience, and what is a major thrust of wisdom is judgment. The discernment that's necessary to make a judgment of a situation. How do you stand in your own life, in self-observation, in prayer with the Lord? Here's what's going on. I need your wisdom. Here's some information that's been given to me. Here's the life experience that I've lived up to this point and how I filtered through these things. Lord, what am I supposed to do now? Yes or no? Right or left? go or wait? What's the wisdom that I need in this moment? Again, we are to ask God because judgment, that's that action. That's that application, whether it's with yourself, with a circumstance, or as you counsel somebody else, you who are parents, you're leading your children. Lord, here's my knowledge of life. Here's the life experience that I've lived. Here's the judgment. Here's the discernment that I have that's going on in their life. What am I supposed to speak to them? How am I to lead them? Do you, do you feel all of this? So who is wise among you? Who, is it, who has understanding? Who's an expert? These are the people that you want teaching you, right? And then you look at me and say, Blake, well, that's not you. Well, don't be so mean. I'm learning. <laughs> don't be so self-condemning, right? No, but these are, this, this is the thing is, who do you want to submit your mind to, your life experiences, your family, your relationship, your job, your desires, your ambitions. Whose advice do you listen to? Do you not want somebody who is wise and understanding? So he's got this question, who is wise and and has understanding in your midst? And then he goes on to contrast different types of wisdom. And there's two different kinds of wisdom. And here's the thing, the devil is extremely smart. So in Genesis chapter 3, it says that the serpent was the most cunning beast of the field. So here you have whatever Satan is as God created him, inhabiting this animal, communicating to Adam and Eve, it specifically states that he was cunning. He was smart. He's wise. 
But his wisdom is what? It's evil. Wisdom can be evil. And wisdom can be godly. The source is the determining factor. So before we get into the rest of this passage, I want you to turn into 1 Kings chapter 3. And the reason why is we have an insecure man in the Old Testament to sit with who knows that he lacks the wisdom, the knowledge, the experience, and the ability to make right judgment. He's looking at himself in the mirror and says, I can't. I am unable. I am insecure in the position that I've been placed in. Anybody ever felt insecure? Every hand should be up in this room. We are all placed into circumstances that make us uncomfortable, where you realize the, the, the words, I can't. And this is where we go to the giving God who gives liberally according to what we need, that nothing in God is impossible. All things are possible in him. We have victory in him. We have the right way forward regardless of what the life circumstances. But here we're sitting with Solomon, 1 Kings chapter 3, and why I say insecure too. So when we finish James, we're going to go pick up the narrative of the Old Testament starting in 1 Samuel. Um, when you sit with Samuel and his life story as they ask for a king and they ask for King Saul, Saul was an insecure man. He started out well, but he lived out his life not in faith. He lived out his life responding through his insecurities. David was a man after God's own heart, a king that replaced Saul in his failures. God chose and appointed David as king also. We watch as we're going to sit in those stories. David as king makes a major sin. And you watch David in his confidence, in his boldness, in his youth, and his passion for God. You watch the brakes get slammed on that when he steps into adultery and murder. And you watch that insecurity of his sin, even though he's been forgiven, even though he's been cleansed, even though the joy of his salvation was restored to him, as you sit in Psalm 51. You watch those insecurities. He lost his voice in his own family, and his family was just a mess. And Solomon is a product of this mess. Now, Solomon made a treaty with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and married Pharaoh's daughter. I don't know how smart that was. And he brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall all around Jerusalem. Meanwhile, the people sacrificed at high places. Again, this is dealing with idolatry. Because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. And Solomon loved the Lord. Note that. Solomon loved Yahweh. Walking in the statutes of his father, David, except that he sacrificed and burned incense at the high places. Now the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. So here he is going to a, an idolatrous altar to sacrifice to Yahweh. So there's a mixture going on. 
For that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask, what shall I give you? Don't you love that? That is an open invitation throughout the word of God. Do you need? God is standing right there. He is with you, and you need to ask him boldly. What shall he give you? What do you need from God right now, church? And Solomon said, you have shown great mercy to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in truth and righteousness and in uprightness of heart with you. You have continued this great kindness for him, and you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king instead of my father David, but I'm a little child. I don't know how. I don't know how to go out or to come in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to be numbered or counted. Therefore, give to your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now, I want you, I want you to couple this with James. Do you lack wisdom? You need to ask the giving God who is wise and understanding in our midst, what is the contrast and the difference between wisdom that is sourced from this world and from the flesh and from the devil versus the wisdom that is from above. Here's Solomon's cry. Give to me an understanding heart to judge your people. And again, this isn't to sit in condemnation over others. It's how how do I lead them? How do I demonstrate mercy when I need to demonstrate mercy? How do I be a giver graciously when the people need to be given to? How do I take them out to war? How do I remove them from the battlefield? I need an understanding heart. I need to discern between what is good and evil. No one's able to judge this great people of yours. And you have to sit in, God is the king of the nation of Israel. You sit in the rejection of God as king when the people demanded a king. They were given Saul, then they were given David, now they're being given Solomon. And he knows that man is not able to be the king and the judge of God's people. Jesus is the king and judge. He is the one who ultimately sits on the throne of David. Because again, as you go throughout the the future history from this point, the leaders make some horrific mistakes And they make some incredibly uh, powerful times of repentance and revival also. Verse 10, the speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Then God said to him, because you have asked this thing, and sit in all these. These are are things that I would ask God for just in, and I've asked God for all of these things. You have not asked for long life for yourself. I was asking this morning, do you want to live a long life? I do. I want to live a long, full life, free from sickness. 
not only do I want it to be a long life, I, uh, I'll ask for riches for myself, I want to be provided for, I don't need a billion dollars, but I like options. I want to take the vacations, I want enough to, you know, to spoil my grandchildren rotten and all that kind of stuff, right? I mean, these are things that we naturally ask for. And then your enemies, you want your enemies to die? So the, the, the reason you would ask for God to kill your enemies is so that you can live in what? So that you can live in peace. To live in peace requires the execution of your enemies. Solomon didn't ask for a long, glorious kingdom. He didn't ask for the treasures of the world so that he could be puffed up in all of his glory and be the king of kings. He didn't ask for his enemies that are on his threshold that his dad fought his entire life. David was a man of war. He didn't ask for those enemies to be executed. What did he ask for? God, I need your mind. I need your heart. I need to know. Because when I look at myself in the mirror and I look at this world and I look at the position that you have placed me in, I can't. But you can. So, it's not that Solomon didn't want all of those things. But in this vision, in this experience with the Lord, he asked the right thing. He asked for wisdom. And as James would say, my brethren, if you lack wisdom, go and ask God. Verse 12 here, behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you, like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I have also given to you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. So if you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commands as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. And Solomon woke up, and indeed it had been a dream. And he came to Jerusalem. Listen, he leaves the pagan altar where he was offering, and you know, God still shows up anyways in the midst of his issues and insecurities. He asks the right question. God has given him promises that are incredible. He leaves that false altar. He goes and stands before the Ark of the Covenants of the Lord, which this is where God says that he will dwell in the midst of the cherubim on the mercy seat. This is where he would meet with the nation of Israel. And he offered up birth offerings. You know, these, are, these are sin offerings and peace offerings. And made a feast for all of his servants. Now, if you know anything about Solomon's future... He was a mixed man. We believe that Ecclesiastes is, you know, the, the end result, all of these riches and everything else is total vanity. The whole thrust of it, the whole end, man's whole purpose is to love God and to obey his commandments is the conclusion of this wise man's life. But again, as we sit in wisdom, much of the Old Testament is communicating wisdom. It's communicating other people's life experiences, where they were successful, where they failed, so that you can attempt to stand in their shoes and assess your own life with the Lord in comparison, in contrast. Have those biblical heroes, have those individuals or those life experiences in the Old Testament. If that Yahoo did that, I don't want to be a Yahoo like that. Like we have all of these examples in the Old Testament. When it comes to wisdom literature, the book of Job, 
the 150 psalms that we have, all of these songs, all of this poetry, the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon, all of those books are defined as wisdom literature. You have ancient individuals in relationship with God, the Holy Spirit upon them, writing things down in their life experience, taking their knowledge, taking their experience, taking their judgment, God using those life experience to communicate to us all the way today who's wise and who has understanding. Back to James. So who, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show again, showtime, exhibit, demonstrate, display by good conduct. So your behavior, your words, that your works are done. And again, this is it's in the gentleness of wisdom. And now, he, and now he's going to contrast the two different kinds of wisdom. Because again, the devil is smart and wise. There's an evil wisdom. God is holy and pure. We're going to get into these definitions. His wisdom is from above. But a wise man and a wise woman is gentle. And this is in direct contrast to um, earlier on, in James 1, verse 19, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Your anger, even, even in your wisdom, you have the knowledge, you have the experience, you have the right judgment, and you come at that person, that situation, in your anger, is that wise? Usually it's not. And again, we have to sit with Jesus in his wisdom and watch him in the Gospels and all of his different interactions with different human beings. Like, who did he show anger towards? He showed anger towards the human being that puts a stumbling block or a roadblock in front of a, another human being in their relationship with God. And usually it was the religious leaders, the teachers, that were to be standing in God's authority, with God's word, by good conduct, to image him to the people. When they lived a life in wisdom according to the flesh, they became these stumbling blocks. Those are the individuals where you see his zeal, his, his jealousy for people who are being hurt from and turned away from their creator because of another human being's behavior. Offenses will come. Woe to the one through who the offense does come. Right? We're to, we're to have all of this caution. That's where, you know, there is a time for righteous anger. However, be slow to speak. Be quick to hear. Be slow to wrath. He's already encouraged us in this. Wisdom is gentle. Wisdom is meek. And this is what meek, meek means. It's, it is power under restraint. I could be angry. I could yell. I could. This, this behavior, this, this in my wisdom right now, I mean, I could head in this direction and I would be right in my righteous, godly anger. Meekness is showing restraint. 
And again, we're going to get into all these different descriptions here of what wisdom from above is like. But first, we have to turn to our natural wisdom, which we all know very well. And yeah, really quick. So part of this is he is addressing the culture that he lives in. He is, he is in the midst. Again, James was executed in A.D. 62. Um, in A.D. 66 through 70 is when the Jewish revolt and rebellion against Rome found its fullness. The, the rebellion against Rome from the Jewish population, whether they were Jewish Christians or still in uh, and under the law, um, that rebellion against Rome led to the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, and to the enslavement and to the poverty of the population of not just Jerusalem, but of Judea and Israel. It was horrendous. So James is living in the midst of people in their, as believers in Jesus Christ, in their righteous anger against the Roman population and their ruling over Israel. Again, he's already addressed before. He, he's calling some of them murderers. You know, you think, it, you think it's, you haven't committed adultery, but you commit murder and you think you're all right with God? And we're like, wait, I mean, this is, this is a really foreign culture to us. But in the midst of that rebellion, you have Christians who are looking to Jesus Christ in faith, who are acting in violence against other human beings and feel justified in their behavior. Whether they're violent with their mouth or they were violent with their hands, these are the individuals that he's dealing with. And then, and then next week, we're, you know, where do wars and fights come from? Again, this, this conversation is going to is going to continue. But in verse 14 here, he's saying, if you have bitter, harsh zeal, you, you are heated in your passion for God. Again, but it's, it's, it's harsh. It's not gentle. It's bitter. And again, you can say that Finhas was a hero. And we're, we're, that's another Old Testament story that we don't have time to get into. But anyways, you, are, you, are, you have bitter envy. You have selfish ambition in your heart, your interpretation, your filter, your emotions, how you understand the word of God and your passion and your zeal and how you want to bring God's righteousness into other people's lives through, through violence, through force. Do not boast. Do not swagger against the truth. Do not lie against the truth. And who is truth? Jesus is the way the truth and the life, when we talk about the truth, we are talking about Jesus, our God personified. You know, and again, who's wise? God alone is wise. This wisdom does not descend from above, but this wisdom is earthly. Literally means uh, the, it's a compound word that's upon the earth. This wisdom, it, it's part of um, the earth's system. Culture would be the idea. It's sensual. The idea is that which is natural. It's wisdom that is it's sourced from you. It's not sourced from God above. It's sourced from this world. It's sourced from your own heart, your senses, your eyes, your ears, your taste, your smell, the senses that God has given to us. It's natural, it's sensual, sensual and it is demonic sourced from those who 
were standing in full rebellion against God. That's what this wisdom that is harsh and zealous, selfish ambition. For where envy and self-seeking exist, it's confusion. This idea for confusion, this is what's really leading into the culture of the time. The word means disorder. It's, it also can be translated insurrection. It's rebellion against authority. Confusion and every evil, every vile thing are there. Again, we can sit in thousands of stories from culture. You can sit in your own sensual wisdom and ways that you acted when you felt right and justified, even in your relationship with the Lord, that that wisdom was not sourced from God. It came out of you. And oh, how the demons speak and how they influence but verse 17, here's the contrast. The wisdom that's from above, the wisdom that's from God, primary, the focus is it's pure. And what this means is it's unmixed. The word for purity is tied to the word for God's holiness. Wisdom that comes from God, the good gift, the perfect gift that comes from the Father of lights as we ask him for wisdom, it is first and foremost and primarily pure. There's no mixture with anything else. It is from God and God alone, and he is not a, an author of confusion. Out of that pure wisdom is, wisdom is peaceable. Again, I want you to sit, sit in the, the, the big topic of what James has been encouraging. He's talking about our relationships and all the different conflicts that we have in relationships. The wisdom that comes from God that you need in that moment, in that conversation, it's pure, it's from him. It is peaceable, not violent and force, forceful. It is gentle. It is willing to yield. This is, this is a powerful statement. It's, it's the idea of open to reason. But when it comes to the law of God, like God's rules, his statutes are very black and white, on or off, right? Yes or no. But because God's mercy triumphs over judgment, what does God do? Even our God, in his mercy, towards us in withholding our just judgment and his grace towards us what he chooses to give of himself giving his son to us he doesn't follow his law to the i and to the t does that make sense because his grace and his mercy triumph over boast over his judgment it's the same idea that as we interact with other human beings that you're right they're wrong. Wisdom in seeking peace and gentleness yields. Doesn't matter. Something, and again, you can't just cast everything out. There are some things that it's very clear in God's word, yes and no. But in dealing with somebody who is coming into the conversation in repentance, in confession, looking for reconciliation and restoration, what does he tell us to do in the wisdom that we need in that circumstance? Be willing to yield. Be willing to say, you know what? I know that I'm right. 
but it doesn't matter. I want to give you a silly example. I thought of this this morning because I was throwing, or maybe it was yesterday, putting some dishes in the dishwasher. By raise of hands, silverware, when you put them in the dishwasher, do they go handle first into the basket? Raise of hands. Handle first. All right. The business end down. Why? So this, this, this is the thing. Yeah, sharp knives. Don't poke your hand. Right? There's all these, there's these things. Mom, you'll have to correct me, but I understand when we were growing up, I remember always putting the business end down, you, head down. And the reason why is because when you empty the dishwasher, I don't want your dirty hands touching the business end of the utensils that I'm going to put into my mouth. My wife is the exact opposite, handle down. Why? Because all the spray gets all the food off of there, and then when it's cleaning and it's drying, if there's any goo and junk, it's draining down on the handle. It's not on the business end. So wash your hands before you empty the dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> Now, it's silly, but I could hold my guns on this one and say, in my house, we will put the business end down in the dishwasher. <laughs> Your house, the dog does the dishes. Here you go. Just lick that. <laughs> Thanks for being on the front row, Tony. <laughs> But that's a silly example to bring about all the other conversations and conflicts that we have in life. Sometimes, you know what? It just doesn't matter. Be willing to yield. For what? Because that's what wisdom does, and that's what brings about peace and gentleness. Wisdom that is from God is full of mercy. Think of that statement. In all, in all the different ways that you need wisdom, just, just with your spouse, just with your kids, with your family members. Imagine if you enter into those conversations full of mercy, full of good fruits, seeking peace, seeking gentleness, Oh, Jesus, like, help me to image you, Jesus. Change me in all of these different interactions because these relationships, they matter. And again, without partiality, they had a whole section on that God is without partiality. We are to be without partiality, without hypocrisy, right? All of these things combine together. The fruits of righteousness... Right, the end result, the fruit, the product of righteousness, it is sown. The seed is planted in peace by those who do peace. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the meek. You could go sit in the Beatitudes. All right, really quick, turn to John chapter 3. I'm going to keep my comments short here. But as we're talking about teachers, as we are talking about what is from above, this is just came to my mind and my heart, and I think it's a great place to end. John chapter 3, there was a man of the Pharisees, teachers, rulers, in the name of God, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know 
that you are a teacher come from God. And no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, and literally it is born from above, sourced from above, born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And again, out of the womb, we're all surrounded by water. So this is just a natural birth and being born of the Spirit. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you a teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Now listen, this is again, Nicodemus is a wise man. He is an expert. He has understanding. He's seeking the Lord. He recognizes the truth. He recognizes the miracles, but he's sitting in confusion. He doesn't have this experience yet. And here Jesus is communicating to him, one, challenging him at the same time, being gentle with him. Are you a teacher of Israel? You don't know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. And Father, Son, and Spirit, if I have told you earthly things, right, wisdom that is on the earth, it's sensual. Um, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will, I, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things, things from above? No one has ascended to heaven But he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and again, there was a a plague, and they were getting bitten by snakes, and this bronze snake, and whoever looked at this bronze serpent, they would be healed from the bite, and this whole scene. Even so, the Son of Man must be lifted up, lifted up on the cross for everybody who looks to Jesus here, verse 15, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. That person that you have conflict with, your spouse, your children, your coworker, your neighbor, the politician, the despot halfway around the world. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. That the light, his purity, his holiness, the light has come into the world. And men 
loves darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. And again, a lot of, you can just sit in the idea of wisdom that is earthly and sensual and demonic. There is a, there's a part of us when we sit in that, we don't want to go have a conversation with God because we want to do what we want to do rather than rushing into his light. We rush into his light, let everything be exposed. Lord, see me fully, let me act according to your image, verse 21. But he who does the truth, do not boast and lie against the truth, but he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Heavenly Father, we love you more than our words and our worship can express. Here just sitting in these, these final words of, of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus, Lord, there's, there's so much wrapped up into it. That here you are, the word, the source. Jesus there in the beginning with the Father creating the heavens and the earth. And you were sent by the Father as a gift. You were given to us graciously in our brokenness while we were sinners, while we loved the darkness and pursued the darkness, while we act according to our natural wisdom, the way that the culture teaches us to act, how all the demons have influenced human culture throughout time, how they whisper to us, Lord. You sent your son into the midst of that to teach us, to love us, to touch us, to heal us, to rebuke us, to die for us, to suffer for us, to be forsaken for us. What love is this? Who are you? What is it that you've done? Who is it that we are, Lord, that you have created us? Who is it that you attend to us? Who is it that you, who are you that you listen to us, that you're here, that you're present? That you, Lord, that through faith in your son and his work, what he did according to truth in you, the resurrection proving that, what is this that you've done by taking up residence in us, dwelling in us, becoming one with us, giving to us the promises that there is coming a day when we will see you face to face. And that hope, it's pure, Lord. It's, it's unmixed. You transform the mind. You transform the heart. You transform my behavior. You transform the words that come out of my mouth. You cause me to yearn for you, Lord. You cause me to be so dissatisfied with my wants and my desires and all the things that this world has to offer me because it's all empty. And I only know that because you have given me your wisdom and your understanding and your truth through your power, through your compassion, 
through your gentleness and your meekness. You have yielded from your judgment and you have given me your full mercy. What a gracious God you are. Lord, let all of us know you and experience you and have your wisdom in every moment throughout the day. We seek you in our weakness because when we humble ourselves before you, Lord, you lift us up be glorified through our lives. Let us see your glory every day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.